Welcome to Verging on Greatness, a podcast about films that verge on greatness, but mostly just wallow in mediocrity, with your hosts, Mike Porkfeld and Craig Saventi. Yes! Yes! Hello! Verging on Greatness is what you are listening to, hosted by me, Mike, and my friend Craig. Hi, Craig. Hello. This is a podcast where me and Craig talk about movies that are as the title suggests, verging on greatness. They're nearly there, they're not quite, they're pretty good, but something's letting them down. Something's, something's, yeah. something's not quite there, and we try and figure out what it is. You just walk out of it and thinking, man, something wasn't quite there in that movie. Uh, and we try and figure out what it was and uh, what would make it better. And this week, this month, uh, we're doing this month? 1992's The Bodyguard. The Bodyguard. And mission, Craig, I'm giving you the mission and I'm, I'm accepting this mission as well. This is a dual mission for neither of us to sing I Will Always Love You at any point. In, oh, in, I think, in, in I think our style. loyal listeners will be very thankful that neither of us are singing. It's, yeah, it's an achievable <laughs> mission, but also an important one. <laughs> oh, for the eardrums of everyone listening. <laughs> it is hard to do, though. It is... It's hard. To, it's, it's impossible. This movie's two hours. It's impossible not to talk about this movie without thinking about that fucking yeah, song. It's two hours long. This movie, and it, feel, and it feels that like song that song is at least is forty-five minutes. Yeah, of it doesn't play until right at the end. Uh, well, Whitney's version doesn't play until right at the end. Uh, it comes up about halfway through. Uh, I don't, I don't, oh, does the Dolly Parton version play? Yeah. Well, no. It's a, ah. it's it's a man. It's a man singing. Uh, oh like right, a, it's a Dolly Parton song. It's, yeah, it's a Dolly song, but it's a man. It's a man singing it um, when when they're on the date in the in the kind of cowboy bar. That's um, right. Yes. And yes, so she yes. calls it. She calls it back at the end. Um, right. But right, yeah, right. all the, like every scene in this movie, the that that song is playing in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. And we're we're about to talk about it for the next fifty eight minutes, and we are not going to mention it. We are not going to sing it. We're going to mention it. Can't talk about this movie without talking I, I don't about the song, but we're not. Can. We're not going to sing it. Yeah, I, I promise. Are you, Craig? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I promise. I'm not. <laughs> well, I will always think of this movie <laughs> when that song plays. That's, as you know, I I couldn't tell you a single. I couldn't sing a single other bar of that song except for, except for the title line. That's the like the right, the right. only bit of that song that I know. But some, <laughs> somehow it just, it's, it's there. It's in the background the whole, whole time you watch this movie. Funny, funny, funny you bring the song up right, right at the top of the podcast because um, I've been to um, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which is where Dollywood is, which is Dolly Parton's themed theme park mm. is that she owns and operates. And um, she's got a little Dolly museum. She is very short. And um, she she has been surgically enhanced in, in ways that is unbelievable until you see costumes that she wears in the flesh. Um, and uh, that song, she, she wrote that song for her manager, her original manager, uh, when she was leaving him to go and get a new manager. Mm. Um, and she wrote him that song and gave him that song. And uh, it's one of those songs that people don't, if you don't know anything about Dolly Parton, uh, she she's written a whole host of songs that um, have been made famous many times over by other singers. Um, and so yeah, if you didn't if you didn't know, it's it's a Dolly Parton song um, that was uh, picked and resung by Whitney Houston, um, and they changed the third verse 
because in the original Dolly Parton version, the third verse is spoken um, and not sung, but in the Whitney version, it is sung. Um, and it's it's sung here as a, a love song, like, I will always love you. But in the in the original Dolly Parton version, it's a, I'm leaving you song, and um, I'm not coming back, and this is my parting gift to you. I can't remember his name. I'm going to call him Herb. Um, because that sounds like a Dolly Parton manager name, Herb. And uh, I, there you go. I don't know. I don't know if anyone cared for that little tidbit of information. I just thought it was relevant because I've been to Dollywood, and you know what? It was not as bad as I thought. I I cared for that information. I think that's good information. <laughs> that's a good tidbit. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, she's. But again, loyal listeners, I'm not exactly tall. Mike, you're quite tall. What are you like, six two or something? Six four. You, you tower. Six. There you go. You, you should have played basketball. Uh, I'm. I'm a. I'm a lowly five five eleven. Um, but Dolly. Dolly is like five two. Yeah. Like she is teeny tiny, and she has got a waistline that I don't have big Michael Jordan hands. But I'm pretty sure I could probably get my hands around most of her waist, and she is. She, her boobs stick out almost as far as she is tall. So she is a very odd shape when you see the costumes that she wears in her little museum. It's like, wow. She's also kind that's, of that's kind of awesome, right? Yeah, like, she is actually. It's a bit of a, a bit of, awesome. of a legend. Yeah, like she literally, like she's from Tennessee, and she, I'm not sure if she's from Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, but she's probably around there somewhere. And she came from absolute poverty, um, and she she was just a really talented singer. And she just literally built herself up from nothing. Um, and she's done, she's done amazing things. Um, and she's been, um, her husband has, she's been married to the same guy almost her entire career. Um, and uh, she's, she's just done all this amazing stuff. And she's, she's literally reached down from the heavens and plucked people out of obscurity and gone, you're really talented and you work really hard and I'm gonna make a star out of you. And yeah, and she's still doing stuff to this day. And um, She's a huge cultural icon for the LGBTQI community. Like she's she's all in on that. She's somehow rather managed to stay apolitical throughout her entire career. So you can only really guess as to her political leanings. But uh, given that she's been very very um, supportive of the LGBTQI community, I, I imagine I imagine you can guess it to her political leanings. But yeah, she's she's legitimately an amazing woman. Um, yeah. A, a real role model, easy to dismiss, but a real role model. And here so. you were thinking you were gonna you were gonna get to hear a podcast about the bodyguard. It's actually it's, <laughs> it's actually gonna Dolly be Parton fifty-five podcast. minutes on <laughs> the virtues of Dolly Parton. Um, yeah, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, interesting place. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, carry on. Uh, the, so 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 on to the main topic. After that, little... I, I'll, I'll just digress one little bit further. So Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. <laughs> Please do. It's in the Smoky Mountains. So um, my, my wife Amy and I did a road trip around the United States in 2016. We did this big loop of the South. And in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, it, it's right, it's kind of just over the hill from another uh, another famous uh, Tennessee location called Gatlinburg. And Gatlinburg um, is mentioned in the Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue. It was, it was Gatlinburg in mid-July and I just hit town and my throat was dry, like mm. Gatlinburg. And... Um, we go to Gatlinburg and because uh, we had heard that the world's biggest lar- uh, biggest salt and pepper shaker museum was in Gatlinburg. So we went to see the world's biggest salt and pepper shaker museum in Gatlinburg. 
and we're in Gatlinburg and it's got this real German feel to it like it's got all these German style you know um, Tyrol house things happening where it's like the wood exposed wood beams and brown with the white so imagine a German village in your mind um, a, a, a mountain village and that's what Gatlinburg looks like and we get there and, and everything's like Uber Gatlinburg or Unter Gatlinburg. So I'm like, oh, this has clearly got some German, some German heritage to it because everything's named in German. Mm-hmm. So we, we turn up to the museum and um, we're the only people there. It's like a buck fifty for entry. It's hilarious. Like everywhere else in the States, it's like it's forty five dollars. And but this one museum in Gatlinburg is like a buck fifty. So we're like, cool. And we go in and I'm talking to the guy who's running the show and it was his mother's collection. So this guy has probably never really left Gatlinburg or Tennessee for that matter. And and I say to him, oh, so Gatlinburg um, is, have you, so are you from Gatlinburg? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm from Gatlinburg. And um, I'm like, oh, cool. So do you know anything about the history of the town? Because I'm thinking that there must have been early German settlers here or something because everything's named in German. And he's like, no, no Germans here. And I'm like, um, are you sure? Because like your buildings are all built like German buildings and you've got Uber and Unter Gatlingberg, which is German for uh, over and under. And he's like, no, no Germans here. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not going to push the point. <laughs> Carry on, pal. <laughs> anyway, there you go. That's, that's Tennessee. And, and now back to the bodyguard. Nine minutes now. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about Tennessee, Craig? Just, let's get it all it's out. Let's really get it all big. out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big place. Big old, um, big yeah, old Tennessee. Big old Tennessee. There you go. Anyway, sorry. Moving on. I thought I thought you were going to circle that circle that back onto the bodyguard in some way. No, I, I was just thinking about Farmer, but he's from Virginia or West Virginia. Yeah. But yeah, the, yeah. Can't do it. No. So this is the first movie here. How about about this? It's 1992 and there's a blockbuster movie about a relation, a romance between a a black woman and a white man. That that would not have have gone down well in Tennessee in 1992. No, it probably wouldn't have. There you go. There you Uh, go. I connected it. it, We're back on track. It is pretty interesting. It is that is that is a fascinating point because um, it's funny you should bring that up because that's one of the first things I said when I watched when I watched this for this podcast was it's an interracial relationship and the fact that it's interracial never comes up. Yes, yes, it's so it good. doesn't come up. It's so it good. It's not it's mentioned. Not a part of it. It's not like all. a source of conflict. It's it's not like look who's coming to dinner. It, it's just this is a happening thing. Yeah. The only thing that is kind of interesting is the poster for the film is is the, the famous one is him carrying her and it's the blue and um she's in the the boots and the costume and his head's kind of down like you you don't know that's whitney houston from looking at that picture but you can kind of make out that it's you can kind of make out that it's kevin costner and that's that's interesting like i don't know if that was deliberate mm. or they were like oh we gotta downplay this 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 fact that there's a white and black couple here uh, i don't know i don't know I think you might be reading too much into that. I just think maybe. I just think they. I mean, with with the approach that they take to the movie, you're right. They they never make it uh, a, a, an issue that that he is white and she is black. That her family and her entourage don't approve of him, but they never imply that it's because he's white. It's because he's a square. Um, yeah. And he takes her to meet to the log cabin to go and stay with his dad. 
never never yeah. mentions it never comes up never never comes mentions up. it yeah it's so good yeah but but at the same time there this is a movie that is about it's a it's a it's a clash of culture movie it's it's but, romantic it's romance on the other side of the tracks that's fundamentally what this what this movie is it's a but again not in a in a race no, related not, way. not not in a race related way it's it is only in that uh, the, the show business from the show business to the the, the and, and, and if anything it's the exact opposite it's the business of not being seen at all it's the business of yeah. being completely invisible contrasted with the business of being of being in the public entirely eye. visible and every time you walk into a room everybody knows that it's you um, yeah. and, and, and everything about all of the conflict in the movie hinges on hinges on that that he, yeah. he is but both of them in, in, in these extreme opposite ends of this of the world that they live in, it puts the same limit on both of them, which is the limit of always having to be mindful of what you are doing and how you are serving that extreme that you are living in. And that's where their that's where I think their their if if their love comes from somewhere, that's it. It's it's so subtle in the movie as to not even really be spoken at all um mm. and, and it's possible that i'm reading too much into it uh because there's nothing directly in any of their interactions that speaks to that but i think that's mm. what they are i think that's what the, the writer lawrence castan is going for with the Perhaps. with the romance there's, there's really not much else to go on um so we should well yeah we'll talk about the we'll talk about the plot in a little bit but uh just in terms of the 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 racial conflict i think it it serves it serves that theme incredibly well that they are from different Mm. races but they also do an amazing job of not allowing their races to become what the movie is about it is fundamentally about their characters and interestingly enough this movie was originally written with steve mcqueen and diana ross in mind yeah um and it, I, I suspect strongly that 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 conflict or lack of conflict being based on race or the fact that he's white and she's black um, doesn't exist in the script as it was written for Steve McQueen and Diana Ross either. Because I think Lawrence Kasdan is a smart writer. Hmm. He's a smart guy. He didn't he didn't do that by accident. And, yeah, that was intentional. And that was that was a, even fifteen years fifteen years or so before the movie was made, right? It was like mid seventies yeah. that he wrote it and he wrote it mid seventies with with yeah. those with those two in mind, and it nearly got made in the seventies, but nearly but and it nearly over. got made again because um, uh, for whatever reason Steve McQueen dropped out, and they they tried to redo it with Ryan O'Neill and Diana Ross. Hmm. Yeah, and that didn't happen either and then it became one of those great unmade scripts in hollywood yeah. that just hovered around until the right star came along and went i'm making this movie at all costs and so and 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 that was kevin costner um and he was i mean it's 1992 he is a, he is oh, absolutely he's done field, he did field of dreams Will Durham. yeah field of dreams dances with wolves. Uh, he did dances with wolves then he does robin hood <laughs> <Prince of> <laughs> And then boom, straight into the bodyguard. And then two years later, Waterworld. Waterworld. So, yes, what a what a fall that was. Um, but yeah, and the he- followed 
followed by the postman. The hitty, the hitty, and the hitty pre-Waterworld days. Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner was gold. He was he was, he was box he was office box, box office gold. gold. Yeah, um, he was yeah. like like Jack Nicholson. He could do uh, no like wrong. Jack Nicholson yeah. in the seventies. He could do no wrong. He pull pull any yeah pull except any that English together. accent in, so he, in, um, in Prince of Thieves. So he, um, yeah. So he, he kind of comes on board. He he reads the script and he uh, pr- comes on board From, as a producer. He, with, yeah, with so Lawrence he did Kasdan. Silverado with Lawrence Kasdan, um, and Silverado was written, directed, or written by Lawrence Kasdan, um, or they call him Larry, Larry Kasdan, and uh, he gets a look at the script. He really likes it, um, and he tells Lawrence Kasdan, "I'm gonna make this movie." Um, and Lawrence Kasdan's like, I could do with some more money. I don't have all the money in the world yet. And um, they go, cool, we need, we need someone we can boss around on set. So they hire Mick Jackson, who really isn't known for anything. So they hire this English guy, Mick Jackson. As, as the director. Uh, as the director. Um, really, uh, I don't know what his contribution to this film was. I've seen LA Story and I, I didn't really like it, which is the film he had done before this. And he, um, he hasn't really done anything of note mm. after. The, probably the biggest thing he did was the, uh, the film Volcano, which is, um, stars Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones. Stars mm. Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Hesch. And it's one of those films that Hollywood made. And they're like, oh, there's two Volcano movies this year. So we're getting Volcano and uh, the other oh, one. Was Bros. Dante's, Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak. Um, so yeah, yeah, Mick Jackson. Yeah, yeah, um, you, you you do get a sense that it's a Kevin Costner film, and in the way, oh, 100%. when you when you look at it, when you look at it in hindsight, and you look at what he what he went on to do with Waterworld and with The Postman and with with a string of other movies, you see what he is building up to with the character of Frank Farmer and that that yeah. strong, silent nineteen um, fifties uh, film noir kind of hard boiled. Yeah. Oh, you nailed Hard it. Yeah, absolutely. Star. That's the movie he ultimately wants to make. He wants to make a um, a 1950s um, detective movie. Yeah, it's yeah, that. Um, yeah, hum- a hard-boiled Humphrey, detective. Humphrey, Bo- Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart, Bogart and yeah. Lauren Bacall. It's, it's that sort of movie, and he wants to play it. He's, he's playing Bogey, and I think he actually does it pretty well in this. Now, we talked about this type of movie uh, that and that exact type of, that character type, uh, when we did Rollerball, which I think was Jack, well, kind of what, mm. kind of what James Caan was going for in Rollerball, an absolute tough guy. Uh, yeah, on the hard nose, uh, you know, uncompromising, yeah. uh, knows what's right, and he's going to do yeah. it regardless. Um, but also, yeah, he's going to kind of live or die by the sword. Yeah, but but not almost, almost like a samurai. Very, very much <laughs> like a samurai. Yes, it's, and this is all. It's yeah, those movies were all thrown back themselves to um, throwing back themselves to the Kurosawa movies. Yeah. Um, and, and and in fact, in this in this movie, he, he, he they go and see Yojimbo. They actually go and see Yojimbo. It's, it's like it's he wears his he wears the influence on his sleeve so much that he just he just takes her. They go out on a date and he takes her to see Yojimbo. There is a a, a theater in America in 1992 that is showing a a 40 year old Japanese movie, um, and he a Kurosawa take, yeah, takes her and along. It's got, it, yeah. Yeah, that's where he takes her and he confesses that he's seen it something like 60 something times he says oh she asks him how many times have you seen that movie and he says oh 64 times or something like that and um and it's just like cool so yeah the 
both the character and the film writer, uh, the screenwriter, want you to know they fucking love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, just in case that wasn't clear. By the way, this movie. And then she goes back to his. She goes back to his murder dungeon. (laughs) I mean, his basement. And he's got a samurai sword. He's got a razor sharp samurai sword just hanging out in his basement, like. I kept, the, I kept waiting. I kept waiting for them to check off gun that samurai sword the, man. The only decoration like, in his in his entire house he, is a razor sharp samurai. This, sword. this is a guy who eats eats food directly from the pot after he's finished cooking. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how little he cares about home life. But he has taken the yep. time to mount his samurai sword on the wall. That's it. That is that's, how, that's... that is how much he is into Yojimbo. And we get two introductions to the character as well, which is kind of interesting. The movie actually opens on Kevin Costner doing his bodyguarding job and shooting to death someone that was coming to get his charge. And then we are reintroduced to him when we find him in the, his backyard of his property and it's overrun and it's looking a bit beat up. And um, Bill comes to see him in the backyard and he's got that throwing board, that knife throwing thing. Yeah. That, it's actually a fun scene where he can't seemingly throw the, the throwing knives into the board. So very early on this film is trying to tell you that this guy is a samurai he, he is mm. a he is a he is out there he's a lone swordsman and he, he's going to defend yeah, his charge a, at all costs he's a sword for hire he's a sword for hire literally a sword for hire yeah it's we're throwing knives. yeah it's very it's very obvious that influence um yeah um so what are we talking about should we well should, enough about him should we, do, should got, we talk about the story whitney. yeah we should talk about whitney first yeah so uh, yeah, opposite, opposite so Kevin is, Costner. Her Houston. debut film. Debut, yeah. debut film. Debut um, film. And, yeah. and she's playing herself, essentially, because she's playing a very famous music and, uh, well, famous music and uh, movie star. And actress, yeah. yeah. And for those of you too young to, to remember the 80s um, all that well, or the only way you know Whitney Houston is is as a punchline to a, a drug joke, um, obviously... She, she died of a, a drug overdose um, some years ago now. Uh, but Whitney Houston in the 80s was as big as anyone is today. Mm. Like she she was Taylor Swift level big mm. in terms of like her cultural impact. And um, it's important. She is a she is a string. She is the archetype of the of the, the, the American diva that Mariah Carey would would cast herself in post Whitney Houston. Um and and she was she was she crossed racial divide yep. like she wasn't just popular in urban centers she was popular across the board uh, she was the kind of singer that went and met presidents um, and, and hung out uh, and and she elevated herself beyond just pop singer to cultural icon mm. um, Whitney Houston was as big as they got mm. um, and it's a shame that the later half of her of her the the ending years of her life were marred by um, domestic violence at the hands of Bobby Brown um, and uh, and drug um, and and ultimately dying of a drug overdose. Uh, she was a woman that was clearly troubled, um, and it's just a shame that we didn't get there or that people weren't able to get to her in a way that mattered. I guess, but she she was clearly she clearly needed help. But, um, did she do a lot of movies after this? She did some. Um, I mean, obviously, this movie was a, a monster hit. The soundtrack was a monster hit um everything about this film was a monster hit but i don't actually think she went on to do anything of note um she was whitney houston in other things but Hmm. i don't actually think anything of note and it's it's 
I remember looking this up earlier going what else did she do but I think this is basically it and it's pretty easy um, to it's pretty easy to shit on her in this she's an easy easy target because she's yeah it's her film debut she's she's crossing over she's crossing codes if you will crossing over from yep. singing onto the screen um and it's easy to look at it as a as a as a cash cow where they want to they want to increase their revenue for the movie and they think well let's, let's well you need a singer in the you film, need a singer in it not? so you need to have some good songs so let's mm-hmm. let's put a great singer in it let's make the great songs uh, and let's sell a lot of soundtracks in addition to a lot of movie tickets because Madonna had done succeeds. it previously so yeah Madonna so this is for those of you who are too young to remember this is the way that it usually happened is that you had a singer that that moved into the film world now you've got people like jennifer lopez who did it the other way they were an actress first and they've become a they're probably now more famous for being a singer so um the usual way this happened was you had chris christopherson's the same he was a country singer and then he transitioned into film world dolly parton singer first Mm. transitioned into film world this is the normal evolution this is the traditional evolution of a star to go from singing to film Mm. um yeah and so whitney houston is just another in a long line of but yeah it's it's nowadays you have these you have a star um and i'm I'm trying to think of her name uh, but she's um uh, she's famous for being Hannah Montana. Um, her name escapes me right now, but she is. You have these these cross pollination stars who they're triple threats. They sing, they dance, they act, and they're they're good at all three codes. Um, and they're every, they're more common now. They're yeah. almost incubated at Disney, where they where they can do all three of these things, and they can sing, they can dance, they can act. They might not be. They might not be great at any of those things, but they're they're solid. They're solid six and a half sevens. Whereas Whitney, Whitney, amazing singer, easy easy to dump on her for this film. Um, but you know what? I remember her being widely criticised for her acting. I think she even received a a, gold, a golden raspberry or was nominated for a golden raspberry for this film. Watching it now, didn't hate her acting. It's not that bad. It's not. Nope. It's not, ama- it's seen, not amazing. But there's no. Nope. It's possible. It's completely possible. It's better than some other actresses that are billed as actresses first and foremost. I, I think I've seen a couple of films with Penelope Ann Miller in them in the last little bit, and she's better than Penelope Ann Miller, who was an actress around at the time. And you're you're right. She was nominated. Both of the leads were nominated for Golden Raspberries for this, and as was as was the movie. None of the, none of them none of them won. What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> and I th- and I think that's fair because that would be sad if this. Uh, I think this movie is a lot better than Golden Raspberry territory. I think this. I think this movie is. I mean, the fact that this film was was a huge hit. Um, it wasn't the biggest film in 1992. I, I think I went and tried to find out what the biggest film in 1992 was, and when I when I found it, I was like, "Oh, that totally makes sense. <laughs> that's an amazing film." Um, but in I oh, hate. I really dislike uh, Box Office Mojo now. It used to be really good to find shit on, but mm. now it's impossible. Um, uh, yeah, what else was big in 92? Uh, Aladdin. Aladdin was big in 92. I think this film comes just behind Aladdin mm. in terms of like box office draw. Um, yeah, it was a huge hit. A monster hit. It's a monster um, hit. Um, and I think if there's... 
yeah i if there's a problem with this movie i i don't think it's the acting it's very easy to point at the acting um it's easy particularly easy in hindsight to point at kevin costner's acting but i think when you when you look at the other movies that he has done and you look at the influence of this movie in in that um the samurai films and then and then the the film noir uh, the american film mm. noirs of the 50s you think you look at what kevin costner's going for in this and you think you think yeah i can see i can see that I can see I can yeah, see what he's 100%. doing and you can shit on it and you can go oh he's not expressive but that's what he's going for he's going for a guy yeah he's going for Steve McQueen he is he's yeah. is going for a guy and it's in the character in this where and I, I guess yeah. you could say he's, he's going for that in Waterworld and in The Postman as well the, the, postman. the man alone the, the solo solitary guy who doesn't say too much um, he's taciturn yeah. um uh and it, it, it doesn't work so well in those because I, I think the, the settings are just too silly. Um, but in, in this, in, in this, there's a there's a beauty to it, and it, particularly in the in the contrast, like I said, in the contrast with Whitney Houston, who has got to be he's got to be talking all the time. She's got to be bringing the energy all the time, and he's always got to be reserved. And he's and he's and he's, he plays the struggle with that. And is it is it yeah. is it amazing? No, but it's oh. it's fine. It's, you can see what he's going for and it's it's not he doesn't blow he doesn't knock it out of the park but it's it's fine you compare it to Bogart or um, uh, you know Toshiro Mifune and you think he's okay I see what he's going for he's he's trying to pay homage look at, he's look trying at to pay you homage just to, plucking Mifune out of the air like that good on he's you trying to pay homage just... to these guys that he loves and it's like I respect that like from that so the there's the the opening sequence where he is cooking he's cooking a meal for himself so like you say very first scene is him him rescuing a guy and then he's and then he's handing in his notice and the guy's paying him out and he says you sure you won't stay and he says no i don't stick around with anyone for too long because my feet go to sleep and then the scene after that he's he goes home he obviously doesn't spend very much time at home he has to push all the all the flyers all the circulars off his front porch and then he goes inside and he cooks for himself and he cooks for himself in the dark <laughs> and and there's, there's just the light he only turns on the light over the over the cooker and the the and the light shining in from outside and you get that venetian blind effect over his face it is absolutely classic film noir um chiaroscuro you know uh, high contrast light and dark it's it's yep. it's it's out of the book it's absolute textbook film noir um and it, yep. it harkens and even even and, and you tie it you know i talked about the extremes and i talked about the black and white and that's what they're going for in this movie it is it it's th- it's throwback it's it's kind of geek cinema to a degree a because bit. it does it does yeah. tie back to those ties so much to those historical genres and yet it's and yet at the same time it is a it is a big hollywood romance it, it brings the big brings the big hollywood um the the grand you can call it melodrama but it's it's going for it's going for high drama it's not it's not a kitchen sink kind of thing it's it's no larger than life yeah yeah, yeah. huge stakes huge big, yeah big stakes big, big juicy stakes big, <laughs> yeah. big, big raw stakes big songs you know <laughs> sweeping sweeping rousing rousing musical numbers yeah long lensy stuff yeah. with uh with like really shallow focus yeah. and there's lights glittering in the background close-ups and, 
close-ups and Whitney Houston looking amazing and emoting. Yeah, you know. when she, that first scene where she where he meets her uh, and her her back is to him, and for the for yeah. half of the scene she's talking to him and she's not even facing him, and then halfway through she stands up and you get the close-up of her face and she turns around and she's beautiful. The camera's right up right up in her grill. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right, everything is soft around her and you, you just get this beautiful face and it is absolute femme, femme fatale textbook. It's, it's stunning. Yep. It's beautiful. But then, but then the weird part for me with this film is, um, one, you get a lot of repetition. So you're introduced to the character. It's, we're jumping all over the place here, but um, you're introduced to the farmer twice. You get two intros to him to show you that he is good at what he does. Then you get a third intro to what he does when he turns up and shows them how lax their security is. And he, he introduces mm. himself as four different names. He wanders onto the property. He's unchallenged. He literally walks right up to the house. Um, uh, and and he, he shows that he's good at what he does. Um, and then you also get, like, jumping right to the end, you get two endings. Mm. There's two films that they went, these two belong together and just mush. Mm. And mush and mush and mush great now we've got a movie and 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 push it out you're right that so. the movie could absolutely start it's eight minutes in when he arrives at the mansion and it could, that could absolutely be the start of the movie everything before that you could throw out but you, they obviously they want to they, they want to spend that time put that time into building up his character and built <laughs> to, to showing up to showing that, that he's a film noir building up that film samurai. noir samurai tone exactly <laughs> Film but noir, you know, I, I like that idea. We should make that movie. I just, film noir. I don't. I don't samurai. begrudge them that. It's it's easy to shit on that and go go. It's it's not <laughs> it's not tidy. It's not tidy storytelling. We were talking about Ghost earlier on, and and like that movie's tight as a drum. Um, that yeah, that that movie not a wasted moment yeah. of screen time. And that, Everything that is happening in that film happens for a reason. And so there's and there's very similar movies. Big huge star vehicles grand grand romance um uh but also that transcend space and also thriller elements um yep absolutely as as well and and a um and uh a um a throwdown beat-em-up song except in in oh that's an old song that's repurposed it is it is an old song that's repurposed that's right yeah what's it that's right it's everly brothers what's it called um What's the song from Ghost called? I Will Always Love You. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to sing it in my head and all I could get was Whitney Houston doing I Will Always Don't Love You. Don't sing it. <laughs> I see where you're going. Stop it. We're halfway, Craig. We can do this. I, oh, I, be- must resist. I believe in us. <laughs> okay. But yeah, interestingly enough, this is something else like, I mean, just, just on, on filmmaking of the time. And um, so this is one of those 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 perfect trifecta of films right where you've got you've got a box office smash and um from a hollywood movie perspective warner brothers must have just been loving this Mm. because uh they they had a big box office smash of a movie that got people back into the cinemas you were able to please a whole bunch of different markets like the men went along because they could they could imagine themselves being kevin costner kick punching some poor weedy fan in a nightclub you know <laughs> that kick punch man i love that kick punch he's got whitney houston in his arms because she's freaked out and he kick punches this guy <laughs> folds him like a cheap suit and <laughs> and then he's out um and then he beats up 
he, he beats up the body the, the the head of security in the kitchen without laying a hand on him really in in such a in such a samurai way yeah. like he's just moving delicately out of the way and this guy's hitting himself and uh the the knife thing comes back um so Chekhov's knife mm. he he throws the knife and, and he's like i imagine that's all of our arguments sorted out now um but yeah Warner brothers must have been loving this movie because one they had a monster film on their hands but then two they have a monster soundtrack that i think that i think is still the the best-selling soundtrack mm. of all time so multi-platinum soundtrack to go along with it um i bet you if they could have squeezed in a video game they would have but they didn't know how to turn it into a video game <laughs> the bodyguard <laughs> just, on sega just kevin costner <laughs> sega you know sega as as Kevin Costner kick punches people in the video game, um, there, I bet you there was a novelization tie-in. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's a it's this, a big it's a big cash cow. Big cash cow, big cash cow. She even had a bodyguard tour. She went on tour yeah, they, with that they, album. They did a stage. There was a stage show. There's a musical. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers just kept cashing in on this one. Um, yeah. So we should we should talk about what's what's not good about this movie because i've 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 been heaping praise on it and i don't want to i don't want to give the wrong impression so i liked this movie more <laughs> than i was expecting to um did had you seen I, this before i suggested we do it for the podcast no i, no, I hadn't this was a this was a craig <laughs> suggestion i'd never watched the bodyguard um excellent <laughs> i'm glad I, i'm glad i have because I, I i did i did like it i think it's i think it's good i think it does what it does what it's trying to do well um, I, I've seen this movie three times and both times before were when roughly it came out. I think I saw it in like 93 or 94. I didn't see it in the cinema. I saw it on VHS. I rented it and I was like, oh, this is exciting. And then I was like, oh, what was that I just watched? There's, but yeah, I, yeah there's, there's definitely, particularly early on, I think that the script, it just, it just feels like there's some beats that are missing. Uh, and I, I, yeah. I think it's because they're, they're trying to dance a little bit too delicately around um frank around his character and make sure that he doesn't have to say too much but he winds <laughs> he winds up like that they, they don't want to break that they don't want to break that um that mystique around frank um and maybe they don't want to they don't want to shoot their wad too early with um the relationship between frank and rachel whitney's character um but it, it winds up feeling like they don't even talk to each other. So they virtually don't talk to each other until about half an hour through the movie. They have the one scene. Yeah. They have the one scene where he arrives at the mansion. Um, so he arrives. He arrives at the mansion. He's hired. He arrives at the mansion, and she's watching. She's watching her dance crew. You know, uh, yeah, shooting shooting a video, something. choreographing a video yeah. in her mansion. Her entourage is around her. Um, he shows up to he shows up to be the security and um, you know they have that they have that initial conflict where he's he's expecting them to be taking taking security a bit seriously. He already doesn't really want the job. Um, he's, he was reluctant to take the job because typically he doesn't work with entertainers. Um, yep. He convinces him the bits of Bill who's it's not clear exactly what his um, what are they called Delaney. It's not clear exactly Delaney. what his yeah, but Whitney. I'm pretty sure Whitney in the entourage calls him Bill yeah. in the film, uh, which yeah. which is either a mistake or they just went with his name. Yeah, because the actor's name is Bill. Um, but he yeah. Bill Cobbs, um, the late great Bill Cobbs. Um, so it's not clear what role he is in her entourage, but he's the one who has recruited 
um, he's recruited Frank for no reason other than money, which which actually doesn't add up whatsoever because he's got nothing to spend it on. Obviously, when you've seen his you've seen his house and the way he lives, it's not clear why he, why the money is that is that big a draw for him. And then he goes, he's relaxed, so he's he's already reluctant to take the job. He goes, they shit all over him, uh, and then he, he 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 kind of fake walks out, uh, and then and then they convince him back and show him the bed where the guy, the crazy stalker broken and jerked off on the bed and he's like fuck mm. it i'm in i'm in give me also, give me also the i suggested that bill I, I suggested that bill cobbs had passed away he has not passed away he is still very much around um, thank you craig for clarifying that on. um so twice twice he he rejects the call um but he winds up on the job neither time with any credible reason as to why he takes this job yeah, he he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't work with entertainers. And then he does go to the house to talk to them. I don't understand his motivation there. I guess, I don't know, for me, it's like, if it's going to be about the money, then make it about the money and just go, you know, he opens up his bills that are past due. Yeah. And and then he's like, well, I've got nothing else going on. Um, or I need, I need maybe one, in an early... One last job and then I can retire. And then I get just has to say that one um, line. Take it from me. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like there's another version of the script where where he's impossible to work with, like he's a drunk. Yes. Um, or, Love it. Um, yeah. No one. Yeah, no one else violent. will work with him. Yeah. No one else will work with him. Or he's he's so he's so hardcore on his morals that he's worked with politicians in mm. the past, or he's worked with a politician who, you know, was rapey and uh, he punched out the politician, which is a, a plot point used in the last Boy Scout. But, um, uh, and now nobody will hire him because he's bad news. Um, or, or maybe, maybe there's a, there's a, another version of the script where, um, he's, he was wrong, famously wrong about something. And, uh, as a result, somebody got hurt, um, that they either didn't need to get hurt yeah. or they, or, yeah, Instead they, or he, you know, he, instead they, they, they tease that they tease that he was he was a bodyguard for Reagan and Reagan was shot, but it turns out that he just he wasn't there that day because he was attending mm. his mother's funeral. Okay, well that's a pretty good excuse. Yeah. He still fe- not on my he still watch. feels bad yeah. about it, but they, they they tease that out, but they don't say why, and then and then they drop that that's the reason, and it's supposed to have pathos, but it doesn't really add anything to his character. I guess what I guess they're trying to say nope. that it adds it adds that regret that he doesn't he doesn't ever want to be away from them when he's yeah. when he's in he goes all in and he always he yeah always and wants then to be there's another bit i guess and then there's another bit after he meets rachel um the whitney houston character um and he's living in the in the pool house i guess um and she catches him watching her music videos yeah. um and he's he's all into these music videos like he's on the edge of his chair eating cereal with a wooden spoon um, if it was again, uh, if it was if it was a nineteen fifties film noir, that would be that would be absolutely code. <laughs> Everybody in the audience would know what he's what he's doing, watching these music videos. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of a bit weird. Like he's all into it, um, and uh, it's just a bit strange. It almost feels wrong. like the first turning point that that scene where okay, oh right. Oh, no. she looks good in that chiffon. Now he's, I like now that. Now he's, he's yeah. in love with her, or at least he wants to bone her. Yeah, <laughs> the power of boners is strong. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so they have a, they have that turning point. They go to the nightclub, and it's the, their first kind of outing. 
and it's it's an environment he's not used to i guess he's used to you know um, political leaders or whatever and and they do a very set thing and um he's trying to do the traditional bodyguarding but it's not working and uh is it tony i think tony's tony, the, 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 the big, big guy? guy the big security the other he's, the big, he's almost yeah. the guy that that farmer supplants he's the so he's the He's effectively the bodyguard, but his his muscle. He doesn't have a, a bodyguard brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 all muscle, no 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 brain. Um, and so there's the nightclub scene with the aforementioned kick punching, uh, where he rescues her and takes her out. And um, and then the, the next scene they're having, um, they're going out for dinner and they're having a romantic interlude. And that kind of takes us into the second act where they wake up mm. the morning after at his place. And um, uh, he's all like, I've made a horrible mistake. Um, and she's like, great. I love it when people refer to a night with me as a, as a mistake. And then um, uh, they have a falling out. So there's this new tension. Um, this, the, um, and so they're adding tension to tension. So you've got this, this, this um, driving force, which is now their, their conflict. Sorry, they've added a new conflict is the word I'm looking mm. for. The conflict between Rachel and Frank. Uh, there's the conflict between Frank, Rachel, and the unknown third entity, which is a very real, incredible threat. Um, and that's the stalker. Uh, they just keep, the stalker, yeah. Um, and they just keep so like that's weird. And too. he's, conflict, like, he's conflicting know, with Sai, who is the the promoter. Uh, the promoter, who is the guy, the English guy. Who, and he's. He sees a lot of this. He sees a lot of this tension, a lot of this danger. He's thinking about ways to turn this into publicity, and to to yep. to, to help project to help uh, you know project Rachel to new new levels of stardom. Um, yeah, which which is yeah. a, a threat that ultimately doesn't really come to anything. And I actually kind of, in a way, I feel like that's the that's the better threat that I would have liked to see come up more towards the end. Um, it's it's kind of always simmering there, and I, I guess that the at the scene at the end at the Oscars, it is, it is it's the it's the the threat that that Frank is ruining her career, that he's making making mm. her look ridiculous, but then it, but the, the threat becomes something else because there is the the whole the second half of the second act is all tied to the threat um, that turns out to be the sister, sister yeah. Nikki. Who was so also part case, of the entourage? Just in case you didn't realize or hadn't seen this movie that came out in 1992, um, the the threat is the is the supplanted sister of of Rachel, who has who is bitter that yeah, who's bitter that her career didn't take the same trajectory as her younger sister Rachel. And her her response to that is to to put a head out on her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's clear it's clear that that character has some talent because there's the, the bit where they're singing and and then they're singing outside. Sorry, so there's the threat. The threat becomes real enough that um, Farmer Frank feels that he can't protect Rachel in the current environment, and so he removes Rachel mm. to the only place he knows is safe: his dad's place in the woods. Um, I've been calling it the boathouse um, because it feels like a boathouse, yeah. but. So they remove him to this gorgeous log cabin in the middle of nowhere. It's cold and it's winter. That's all we need to know. And um, I, I get the feeling it's the kind of place where it's perpetually winter yeah. and it's perpetually snowing there. And um, and it feels like this is where the climax should be, but it isn't. Yeah. Like a true mystery, the climax is hidden. Yeah. And um, we find out we find out here that 
the sister Nikki has put out a hit. She never met the hitman. It was kind of a proto Craigslist type thing where she just basically transferred <laughs> money into some guy's PayPal, <laughs> and this guy's not going to stop. So we're, we're and it's, we're, a, and it's apparently some that. sort of Terminator kind of arrangement where yeah, where, uh, he's just going to keep going until she's dead. Yeah, yeah, and so that's even even that's beyond where we even have, beyond the beyond the point where the person who actually paid him the money is yeah, dead. She's killed. So Nikki's by accident Nikki's killed. She's or on purpose. After after yeah. she's revealed to have potted, taken out this hit on her sister, she's conveniently killed to tie up that loose end so the so that prevent the film getting bogged down in the the moral quandary of how they how they deal with this person who was in the entourage who has betrayed her sister. They kill her. And, and that's that's yeah. nice and tidy. That's wrapped up. And the film also sets up a bunch of red herrings as well, because you feel like it could be the Cy Spectre character. You feel like it could be any of these people in her orbit that could be the behind it all. But they also set up a, a deranged fan that you keep cutting to this guy doing weird and creepy yeah. things. Yeah. So they, they, they go down um, those two, there's, there's those two angles with the deranged, there's the deranged fan and the, the, the log, the point of the log cabin, it becomes clear that this person is a professional. They are, that's right. Yeah, um, it, so it, it is not just it's it's not a, it's not a fan, it's someone else, um, someone someone professional, someone trained, um, and at, so at that point there are, there's a dual threat at that point, which is which kind of muddies the waters a little bit, and it does make it a little bit. The the, the film does get a little bit tied up in knots, as they as, the, as it does it, it goes around in circles, goes, go, yeah. comes out of the romance and back into this whodunit kind of tone. Yeah, and I, I think the film does that a couple of times, though. Like a, yeah. a couple of times, it wants to be this romance story between a bodyguard and its and and the uh, and the charge. I, I don't know the the client, I guess. Um, but at the same time, it also, like you said, wants to be this who done it. And it's almost like there's two scripts that existed, and they're just kind of chopping and changing between the two scripts. Um, I feel like because there's that scene at the party at roughly, I guess, about the end of the second act, where. Um, Rachel is throwing herself at this this new this new person that's been introduced, Portman, yeah. um, who's also a Secret Service agent, and she's throwing himself at him to make Frank jealous. Um, and it, Portman gets a little bit gets a little bit rapey, and she throws him out. And um, uh, and I guess we're meant and that's the, the, the scene there is also where we were introduced to the idea that um, well the threat comes back like we haven't really seen the threat up until that point again so we have the threat early and then we have the threat again which drives us into the third act but um it again it, it feels like there's two stories that have been mushed together yeah. here and they they either they didn't have the they either didn't recognize it at the time or i don't know maybe there was just too much star power in the room because you had you had kevin costner who i can imagine being hot off the heels of an academy award win for best director and a best actor um and hot off the heels of of robin hood prince of thieves i bet you he was making changes on the fly all day and um lawrence kasdan either by that point wasn't involved where he could come back and go no that's not what's in the script um please stay on please stay on book um or the mick jackson the uh the erstwhile director they hired um either either was too 
too frightened to say anything or wisely enough recognized to stay out of Kevin Costner's way because he's a nobody and that's Kevin fucking Costner in 1992. Yeah. yeah. So Dances with wolves, I know which, bitch. Da- who dances with wolves, yeah. And he's got this movie coming out about a water world thing, so you better fucking stay out of the way. So. <laughs> I actually think that scene, that's, that scene um, where uh, Rachel is seducing Portman, I feel like that that sequence is that sequence is like where the movie's at its best. Um, that playing playing that tension. So they've she, they she and Frank have have had their had their affair and he's called it off and she's she's fucking with him. That's where where, where Whitney's best in this movie is where she's she's fucking with him and he's feeling the wrath of a, of a woman scorned of 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 this this a superstar woman. Um, at the height of her, at the height of her fame and her power she's he's he's mm. feeling the wrath of her scorn and he's just having to take it um and she seduces she seduces that guy all like right in frank's face um mm. and he's only too happy to oblige and then a woman comes up to frank and <laughs> yeah be watching you from across the room pass at him <laughs> and he shuts that shit down so, yeah she so comes cold. over and goes <laughs> I've been watching you all night from across the room and he kind of responds and goes, well, you should go back over it's there. Fucking <laughs> savage. You, <laughs> you feel it through the screen. Just, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So cold. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, awesome. It's so cold. It's so good. It's really, really, it's really, really well done. But yeah, it, so there are scenes and sequences that work really well, but it, but uh, only when it's only when it stays on course, when it where it stays, yep. it keeps it about that the the tension and the, the the course of the relationship between Frank and Rachel. That's yep. where it works the best, and where it veers it veers off on tangents and it becomes about about other things. It becomes about this whodunit kind of story, um, and it becomes about you know the, the other people in her life. Um, that's where it, it falls down. It almost feels like there are too many in her entourage. Uh, and it's like Cy, Cy, there's Cy, there's Nikki. She's got a son as well, um, Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Um, Fletcher, who, who's building a relationship with Frank as well. Yeah, it complicates things as well. It almost feels like out of out of Cy, Fletcher, and Nikki, it should just be they should just be one person. Uh, yeah, just just to keep it on track, just so you know you know where not, you are. Not to mention Bill. And yeah, yeah, Bill is yeah, Bill as well, and Tony as yeah. well. Um, and Tony, she's, so she's got this There's like a whole this bunch huge, of them. huge entourage. Yeah. But they're, they're they're all yeah, they're all they're all playing roles, and I guess that's what they're trying to get to with with that scene in the cabin is they strip it down to just family. But even even with just family, there's a threat, and this is the this is the environment that you live in when you are a big star is that you you, you mm. don't know who to trust, and that's you have and this, that's yeah, you have all these people in your orbit. And you don't you don't necessarily even know who yeah. they are, and that, but they're always and there. And they're trying they're trying to hang Rachel's love for Frank on that because she can mm. trust him. Of all the people, of all around the people, her. but only because yeah. she's paying him. It's almost a reverse Pretty Woman kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> reverse Pretty Woman. I trust you because I'm paying you. <laughs> But that I, th- I think that, I think that's what they're going for. But it winds up it winds up feeling like it's it's splitting off in too many different directions. There's too many sub too many but, subplots, too many people. 
yeah and 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 as i as i keep coming back to uh two endings so it yes. literally has two endings so it has a has a conflict at the the, the what are, the, the log cabin and then it has and then just because it, it's not done yet um it decides it needs another ending at the oscars so we then we go to the oscars because um for reasons because the 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 cabin isn't safe anymore um and uh, so they go to the oscars or she needs to go to the oscars so they go to the oscars um and frank's at the oscars and then there's additional conflict and tension there because even though he's been proven right so many times um they still don't believe that she is in danger and there's all this you know is she in danger isn't she in she in danger oh you're overreacting um and this kind of feels like that would have been this version of the script where it was like this is just like 83 again you were you were so convinced that this thing wasn't was going to happen or wasn't going to happen and it did or it didn't happen and like there should be that self-doubt that moment there where he needs to doubt himself but he is so right through all these people being wrong i think we've talked about this in the previous podcast outbreak that was the outbreak yeah. yeah he's he's the lone he's the lone voice of reason in a sea of insanity and he is um he's proven right there is a, a guy who's strapped a gun to a side of a camera and it turns out to be portman um who he who done it um, um who done it his way through and, it. I, and i guess and, they're, they're just trying to they're just trying to economize on characters i guess by having the same guy who she cock blocked why not she cock blocked earlier in the movie be the one who's come back coming back and trying to kill her at the end but <laughs> why not um it does almost seem like so, he's trying to get like it's it's driven by and so, by retribution yeah yeah because she led him <laughs> on because she led him on to, to to make frank jealous and then turfed him out when, when it wasn't working and and it's it's same versus same so he's he's ex-secret service or frank knows him professionally so he's a bodyguard of sorts as well so he knows how to do the killing because he knows how bodyguards work um so mm. it's a thief to catch a thief mm. and um uh, he he uh shoots at rachel uh kevin costner throws himself um dutifully in the path of the bullet <laughs> with the world's greatest catch and um that must be hard uh, he to, then, must be hard it, to time right to get yeah, to, like, full, that must be that must be something they teach you in the secret service to right dive and have your yeah. body get, full get in the way of the bullet just at the at the yep. point where it's fired like how That's fast right. does a bullet move yeah. how fast does a person move what <laughs> what do you need to stand and i'm i'm, I'm yeah. gesturing here like you want to get in front but then stay in front right you don't want to be in, yeah you don't and, want to be in, and do you want to do you want to take it chest <clears> full yeah. on like because there's less meat there's less meat that way or do you want to kind of catch it diagonally yeah. so it has to travel through more he's, of you you're, he's because, in front of her for like a split second he's flying past it yeah just and seemingly he gets shot twice as well like he he ends up taking us taken two. i i felt like he was shot twice i don't know if he was or not but so he's shot twice and then bleeding on the on the oscars stage um on oh, oh, uh, bleeds uh, the blood gets on the card and Cy picks up the card and it's the, the the card for the the oscar that she won and he's yeah and he tries and, to wipe off and, the and blood he's trying to rub the blood oh, off and it's so it's just it smudges the blood it's like oh sigh you literally have blood on your hands <laughs> um <laughs> it's so and 90s then, so frank it's manages just... to shoot shoot him from from his prone position and then like he's bleeding on the stage there and um it's the oscars so everyone's screaming and shouting and running around and um you don't know whether he lives or dies 
and uh and then it cuts to the final scene of the film which is um he's got a sling on he's clearly wounded there's some silver-haired battle axe um of a, of a former secret service agent that he's found to replace him um and rachel um and entourage hop onto a plane uh, as some pop song plays uh slowly starts to play um over her leaving and then she's like stop and the music swells and she runs and they have a kiss and the camera rotates around them and uh end of the movie feels like which feels like another throwback to a throwback um to a 50s movie or earlier than 50s um casablanca it feels like yeah, casablanca yeah, yeah. A, a, a tear-soaked parting on a on an airplane runway a fi- yeah a final, instead a final of, kiss yeah and instead of uh she gets on the plane do they kiss yeah in casablanca uh, okay oh. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't no, remember. No, they don't. don't because she's with that other guy, and she hops on the plane yeah. and leaves, and and then he says, "Oh, this is the start of a beautiful of a beautiful friendship." So, like, they rewrite that history. So he gets to rewrite the end of Casablanca, and she stops the plane because it's a private plane. She can do what the fuck she likes, and she runs over and gives him a big kiss. And I was reading on the IMDb trivia that the the rig set up to do that circle camera shot. Um, the cameraman got thrown off the rig. Um, because he wasn't ready for the centrifugal force of the thing spinning round, and um, he he manages to get back up and get back on the rig to finish the shot, and that's the shot that's in the final film. So I thought that was funny as hell, and how how Whitney Houston and and Kevin Costner didn't lose their shit at the cameraman <laughs> being flung off the camera is a testament to how professional yeah. they both are. So, debut yeah, film, debut film, nothing. This woman is a pro. Nothing. She's a pro. Um, uh yeah so for me like this film is it's it's fine like you know it's it's a great movie is it great movie? yeah go on it this is a great movie it it's it's popcorn it's popcorn at its best it's it's a 90s thriller um that has everything you could possibly want huge stars huge soundtrack uh huge huge single that is uh still thought of to this mm. day um that people play at their weddings because they don't realize the what the song is actually saying <laughs> underneath it all it's not a love song it's it's a it's a i'm fucking leaving you song and they play it right after i'll be i'll, I'll be watching you by sting um which <laughs> by the police which is another really creepy fucking song to be playing at your wedding um <laughs> there's so there's issues and and the issues i have is it's two films that have been mushed into one film and so kevin costner clearly wanted to make a um clearly wanted to make a, a, a film noir detective film. And I'd say Lawrence Kasdan originally wrote a modernized version of Yojimbo. Mm. And I think there's two films there. I feel like both films work. I don't know how well they work together in this film. I think there's, if you, you could re-edit this film, you could, you could take out the entire bit at the Oscars and just cut to him being wounded. You could have him wounded at the, at the lake house and the, the climax makes sense. I feel cheated when I watch this film now because uh, I feel like I'm cheated of of of, of a climax because you, you get a climax and then you get another climax. It's it's very odd. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't yeah. feel like and, a it's supposed to it's supposed to be in the all is lost moment that that end of the the end of the uh, the the boathouse se- sequence. Yeah. That's it's where almost like the film has where a tax should, on for yeah, that. That's where it should be. To bring it back up yeah but there's no loss of faith in frank no he's just reaffirmed they, yeah that so should that be should be the point if, where they where they are they are divided they're at their worst 
but it's not. They're yep. at their they're at their worst about seventy minutes in um, when he beats when they have an argument and he beats the shit out of a innocent kitchen hand. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's the moment when the should have. I don't know. It's weird. This film's. I like this movie. But also, you know what else is weird is Frank doesn't have a journey. Frank is Frank starts right, he's right in the middle, and he's right at the end. <laughs> what what has Frank learned that maybe he can put the lights on in his house when when he's cooking, or that maybe his murder dungeon, I mean his basement, um, could do with maybe something other than like a samurai sword on the it's, wall? What's, it's still um, not clear what what he wants his life to be about. Like yeah, where does he go? F- what, what happens the day after this? He dies protecting some schmuck who doesn't know his name. That's what that's what happens the next day after this. And she marries Bobby Brown and develops a heroin addiction. I guess you, you're um, meant to get it from the story that the dad tells at the at the boathouse, right? That's meant that's meant to be his arc. Is that when he was yeah. when he was afraid of something when he was a kid, he would just he would just head up against it and keep doing it until he wasn't afraid anymore. But like that's not really a that's not a driver. That's not a it's character. Not a motiv- it's not but a motivation. He, what's he frightened of? What's he frightened of in this film? Nothing. The boogeyman could turn up. Jason Voorhees could turn up. Love. Intimacy. Of course. <laughs> intimacy. All right. So he's frightened he's, of love and intimacy. He's frightened of failure. Right? He's, he's, he's frightened of failure. Uh, but does he fail? No. He doesn't learn shit. Okay. You can... <laughs> All he learns is he should invest in a good um, a bulletproof vest. That's what he learns. Yeah. yeah. But then it's it's so a, it's, I, it's, I, a, I, it's but that's that's the film that's the film right back to that. It's it's forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Ultimately, ultimately he loses. Ultimately yeah. he's left. But he's he left. He's he left wins. with nothing. So, it's the film in, noir. It's the film noir ending. It's the Casablanca ending. It's it's okay. It's uh, sure, but at in Chinatown. He loses, and he he's told he has to accept that he loses, and that's fine. And and again with um, Casablanca, he doesn't get the girl, mm. but he's fine with that. Mm. Whereas in this, he got the girl, <laughs> he got his one night stand. <laughs> he could go with her, yeah. like uh, yeah, he could. Amy yeah. and I, yeah, he could be. He could. Amy and I watched this film, and the first thing we said afterwards was like, "Oh, they don't get to be together," and I was like. And for reasons I can't properly explain, no, they don't. Um, but how? Here's here's an idea. How about um, instead of the next scene being them standing at the airport where you don't know whether he, you know, because it's it's played, you don't know whether he lives or dies. So there's two endings that I suggest might be a better ending. One, he dies. Like that's that's the story. Like that's he dies because. That's what he's there to do, to die so you don't die. That's what a bodyguard's ultimate life mission is. Mm. Then his life that's is a completion. Complete. That's a completion his, of your arc when you are a bodyguard. You have yeah. succeeded. A, a bomb that doesn't explode is a failed yeah. bomb. So he, he, he dies. Like that's, that's story one. And then you have the funeral where, where you have Nikki and him being buried. Like you make that one single scene and, um, and then, and then you get to, you get to have her standing at the tombstone and Frank Farmer, uh, I, you know, I will always love you. Cue the mm. big fucking song. Um, you're, magic, you're actually, you're, magic, cinema magic. You're actually right. right. If, if, he, if he does die, you can, you can make that his, his goal. So he, he is a guy who 
here's a guy who was paid to risk his life, right? He risked his yep, life. That's his ultimate risk his life for money. What if his goal is to yep. risk his life for someone that he cares about? But he, but and then, but, and then but so his, conf- that's the his conflict, he his conflict yep. is that is that once he cares about the person, he can't do yep. his job properly because because and he says that repeatedly throughout yeah. the film. I can't do my job if I care about you. Yeah, because I need to be able to make a decision that that means that I will do something. And so, what if the final the final scene is he dies? He saves her life, and then but he's made that decision for love. You could have you could have the whole thing flash before yeah. his eyes. There's your big Hollywood ending. You don't get to make a sequel, which they were really trying to do. The second ending uh, that I thought about, which makes which which was fun. If you want a big fucking Hollywood ending, he gets shot, smash cut, interior, hospital room. He's hooked up to a whole bunch of machines, and she turns up with her entire fucking entourage. Tony's there. They're all there. Sai's there. Sai's got a contract. Hey, you need to sign this. This is the contract to the story of your life. We're gonna. The, the Holly, you are the hottest thing in Hollywood right now. You saved a woman who was winning an Oscar at the Oscars on live television. Your career as a bodyguard is fucked. Oh here's, shit! Here's the contract for you. That's brilliant. Here's the here's the contract for the story of your life. Tony's there. Tony's at the door. Tony's made some fucking lessons. Tony's checking the food yeah. as it comes in. Tony's going. You can't fucking come in here. Who the fuck are you? Get the you fuck out of here. Never, the yeah, driver. You there. never have to work again. The driver's there. The driver's got his suit on. He's got his gun in a holster. He's like, hey, Tony. Hey, um, hey, Frank. I've joined the Secret Service. I'm gonna be a Secret Service agent, man. Um, and I'm fucking cool. And then she's there. She's got her family there. She's got a cook coming in. She's got, and then she's got an entourage behind her. There's a physical trainer, uh, a, a PT, uh, a rehabilitation, and an osteo. You know, not an osteopath. Um, you know, <laughs> so, uh, uh, what do you, what do you call them? Like an occupational therapist. An yeah. occupational therapist is there. They're laying out all this stuff, and like you're gonna have to start eating healthy, Frank. No more of that shit. You cook in the dark on your stove. Um, I'm I'm here. You go, Frank. I'm gonna take care of you. Mm. You looked after. You spent your whole life looking after other people. Now's my yes. Turn. Now you get yes. looked after. That's the end of the film. That's your big soppy Hollywood ending right there. And then smash cut. I will always love you by Whitney Houston. It's Kevin Costner singing it. <laughs> With, yeah, and Kevin Costner is sat in the wings of her of her concert where she's standing on stage. And then you can have that final look to mm. to stage left. You can even have the same fucking ending where instead of him standing behind some religious leader, it's Kev, he's standing off in the background watching her doing his doing his job um but she's singing i will always love you to kevin costin there you go two endings that are better than the one that we got and that's my major fucking problem with this film boom Boom. nailed it (laughs) all right we've gone we've gone hour and ten we should wrap this up well over time um i'm for me this is this is verging on greatness it's very close it does it does so much of what it's trying to do well Uh, um yeah from a from what it sets out to do i think it i think it hits all of those points does it well there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of easy yep. easy there's a lot of cheap shots you can take at this movie but there's a lot of low yeah. hanging <laughs> but but when you think of, when you look at what it's trying to do and you look at the movies that it's obviously paying homage to um it's 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 yeah, doing, I mean, it's, it's, Lawrence, it's, what just, it's doing. just make a samurai film mate <laughs> <laughs> just just do it you know you want to stop fucking around like we don't need cowboys as as a samurai we don't need 30s era gangsters as samurais just just make a samurai film just <laughs> just do it what's Takeshi mike doing these days no get him in a samurai film we're, we're, we're there are you uh what are you calling it so, 
ah this is greatness it it's it's easy to dunk on and and like you said there's a lot of low-hanging fruit but for a product of its time it does some things that are that are still fucking unusual Mm. today like the whole interracial love thing that 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 still doesn't happen today that often you know where and where it does happen it happens on netflix and netflix doesn't make anything of it it it, name it name a major hollywood film that's doing this and it's not that's not the conflict Mm. it doesn't happen Mm. and when it does happen it's fucking it's so weird when it does happen that that people who know what they're looking at call it out because that's unusual um, it shouldn't be but that's unusual. um, amazingly uh um, we're recording this uh in uh late may 2020 uh at the very end of may 2020 amazing and right now it feels like uh, race politics in america uh have gone down drastically in the 28 years um oh from, when, from when the bodyguard came out it seems much like impossible to make this movie now it without, seems somehow rather like we've gone race. back to the 60s yeah yeah, yeah. somehow i don't know how but yes um and now we're which yeah. is which is like when was when were the la riots rodney king that was like 90 was that 90 early it was late 90s, 80s. late 80s no it was early 90s 90, yeah 91 92 yeah, yeah. probably around not from, yeah just before just before oj so, so not, 90 like not 92 far off when this was when this was going on so i don't know yeah actually you know what uh we should probably steer clear of race related content but i I'd, I'd say yeah this film does something that's unusual uh, there should be more of it um and and race relations seemingly have taken a big turn downhill or rather um in the words of oh, i forget forget who said it but they said racism is still around uh races the only the only thing that changed is now it's being filmed um so yeah all right anyway this this film it's it's pretty yeah. good we should we should wrap this up yeah um thank you for listening right. um uh as always hit us up on social media all the all social the, media all the socials yeah. um give us yeah. give us a movie give us a movie idea uh like and we'll subscribe i mean whatever you're whatever you're happening to be listening to us on make sure you like that post or give us a review and uh, that really affects the way that we're we're distributed by the yeah. various platforms have a, i don't know how have, have a look does. at our have a look at our other movies and and share one with a friend we're over th- we're over 30 now we've got done quite a few this Probably is be something you've seen and yeah. be interested in so so think of, think of someone who think of someone who's into movies chuck a chuck a, chuck a link their way chuck a link chuck a link yeah all right all right bye, craig oh, thanks mike see you next time all right bye everyone bye you all